0: Welcome to Central Assembly of God's podcast. We pray this message speaks to you. All right. Today I want to talk to you about the tithe and why I tithe personally. Can you say tithe? Tithe. Tithe. If you've been in church for long enough, you would have heard that word. Maybe you don't understand what that word means, uh, but we're going to break it down for you today. Hopefully, I'm going to bring some clarity because I do think there's some confusion around the tithe. Some people have very strong opinions and strong theological stances, so I'm going to share with you what my personal uh, revelation is from God's Word today. Hopefully, it will answer a lot of questions. Some things I say today might actually create more questions, and that's a good thing. We're here to receive revelation from God's word and from his spirit and then act upon what he is saying. So I wanna talk today a little bit about uh, what is the tithe. Some people have asked before, well, if I tithe, should I tithe on my gross or on my net income? Is the tithe just for the Old Testament? If the tithe was established just for the Old Testament, should I still tithe today? If I don't believe that tithing is for the New Testament, how much should I give to the Lord? These are all questions that come up in believers' minds and conversations that I've been a part of in recent years. So I want to make myself clear even before I begin. If you do not currently give to the Lord, or if you at one season gave to the Lord and you're not currently giving to the Lord right now, this is not a message of condemnation. This is not a message to heap guilt or to drag you down or to put burdens upon your shoulder. This is a message of revelation. It's a message of looking into what God's word says, how people gave to the Lord during different seasons of time. And when revelation is received, the eyes of your heart pop open. It's like that thought of, wait a minute, I never saw that before. And once the Lord gives you that revelation, now it is a responsibility upon your life to live that out. And that is between you and the Lord. Does that make sense? So this isn't like, oh, geez, I'm going to feel bad and this and that. Absolutely not. We're going to go through Scripture specifically in the Old Testament mostly. And in two weeks, I'm just going to kind of close this uh, series of messages up by looking at New Testament giving as well. If you think about giving to the Lord, not just for the sake of giving, but because it's producing generosity in your heart, it is so important in your walk with God. I want you to understand that we shared it last week too. Your lack of generosity toward the Lord will actually affect more than just your money. It will affect your relationships. It will affect your time with him. It will affect how you do life because the lack of generosity uh, forces you to have a, uh, a, uh, an attitude of entitlement. And then it produces selfishness where you just want to hold on to Everything. Like I've said before, when the issue of money and giving is settled in your heart, then messages like this don't irritate you. You don't think, oh, he's preaching on this again. No, if you have it settled in your heart to give to the Lord, then it's a joy to hear messages like this because you know the benefit it is put in your life by giving to the Lord. So if you're sitting here and you're saying, okay, good, we're going to talk about giving, we're going to talk about generosity, we're going to talk about tithing, then you know that other things will be broken off of other people's lives, and they'll be able to walk in what God has for them through that area of generosity. If it's irritating you with the first word when I said tithe, then it's probably just not a settled issue in your heart. But hopefully by the end of today, it will be. I said it last week or maybe two weeks ago. We are in a healthy place financially as a church. I commit that to you. I'm not preaching out of desperation. I'm not preaching hoping the tithes go up or I'm getting out of a job. Not at all. I need you to know that. We're we're preaching from a place of health. So there's not force, there's not pressure, there's not not manipulation. There's God's word, our revelation from God's word, and how we can act upon that with the Lord. So the word tithe simply means 10th or 10%. Can you say 10th? Say 10%. Each year in the Old Testament, a tithe, or 10% of the harvest of crops, came forth. People brought it from their local storehouse, you can say, from their local place of where their harvest came, and they would bring it to the place of worship. The areas we're going to talk about today specifically is the tabernacle. Now, most of the times when we see that word tithe, or actually, I'm sorry, all the times when you see that word tithe, it simply means 10th. So some people would say, well, I tithe to the Lord. I give 15%. That's good then. You would tithe your 10%, and then you're giving 5% above that. That word tithe isn't a system of giving or anything else. It means 10th or 10%. Now, what I want you to see too in the Old Testament, when they gave their tithe, it was crops or cattle or fruit. It wasn't, they weren't bringing cash to the temple. A lot of times when we think about tithing, we think it's, it's money. In the Old Testament, it was always something different than money. And we'll see how it could have been exchanged for money in just a little bit. Now, the tithe was part of the law in the Old Testament. It was, a part, it was a law that was required by the Jews. In fact, if you think about the law, sometimes you might think about just the 10 commandments. But if you look at the entire law as it was developed, it came to be 613 commandments that the Jews had to follow. How many of you are happier in the New Covenant? 613 laws, and the tithe was simply one of them. Now, if you look at the Old Testament tithe, and there's going to be notes up on the screen because I'm mentioning a lot of different things. There's notepads in front of you if you're interested in taking notes. There's three different tithes that were uh, given in the Old Testament. If you study this out, you'll look at different commentaries. Different theologians will call them different things, but they'll all mostly agree that there's three different tithes. The first was a sacred tithe. This tithe was given to the Levites. If you know anything about the land, uh, the, the land that was given around the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the Levites were not given land. They were not given an allotment of land or food. They were called to serve in the tabernacle, the workings of the tabernacle. So what happened was one, uh, that, that tithe was brought into the tabernacle for the Levites. And then it was, it was broken down even further to go to the priests that worked in the holy place, the holy of holies. The second tithe was this. It was called the tithe of feasts. This tithe was actually, not all of it, but a portion of it, was actually eaten by the one who brought the tithe to the place of worship. So picture this. They gathered all of their tithes up, right? They, 10% of, from their crops, 10% from their cattle, 10% from the fruit on the trees. They actually brought it there, and then they ate of it as a celebration of all that the Lord has done. So, next week, when you bring your money, tear off a little bit of it, eat a little bit of it, celebrate a little bit. I'm just trying to put in context of what happened in the Old Testament. The third tithe, which happened every third year, and which we're going to get into scriptures here, was to supply for those who were in need. It was a tithe for the poor, but also for the orphans and the widows. It was to actually go directly toward them. So, let's take a look at these three tithes. The first is a sacred tithe. Uh, if, you're, if, if you're quick in your Bible, you can turn to Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's quite early on in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 27, starting at verse 30, we start to see the breakdown instructions about the sacred tithe. I'm not going to mention every single scripture about the tithe. I'm just trying to give you some big bullet points here so you have a greater understanding of what was actually happening in the Old Testament. Starting at verse 30 of Leviticus chapter 27. This is the New Living Translation I'm reading out of. It says, one-tenth of the produce of the land. Some of your translations might say one tithe or the tithe of the produce of the land. Whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord and must be set apart as holy. So look what's happening here. 10% of the grain from the fields, 10% from the tree, the fruit of the trees are set apart as holy. I want you to just catch this glimpse here. You look at Old Testament tithing. You look at that aspect of tithing. The main purpose of this was to teach people to put God first in everything. So we're saying you're putting just this portion first and you're setting it apart as holy. But you look at the new covenant, we are to be completely and holy, set apart as holy, entirely holy to the Lord. What he's saying in Leviticus is this, 10% of your crops and your fruit gets set aside. The best part is set aside as being holy unto the Lord. Verse 31 says, if you want to buy back the Lord's tenth of the grain or fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. So maybe you never knew this about the the tithe before. Under the Old Testament law, it was actually permissible to buy back your grain or your fruit that you gave as a tithe, but you had to pay a 20% markup fee, is what I call it. We could do that here too, right? You can give if you want that back. Just pay me what you gave me plus 20%. I'm just joking. This is interesting stuff of what happened through the tithe. Verse 32, count off every 10th animal from your herds and your flocks and set them apart as, uh, for, the, for the Lord as holy. So it wasn't just the harvest. It wasn't just the fruit. But it was every 10th animal that would pass under that rod was to be set apart. If you look at verse 33, uh, it, it starts to now says, it says, you may not pick and choose between the good and the bad animals. You may not substitute one for the other. If you do exchange one animal for another, then both the original animal and the one you exchange are to be considered holy and cannot be bought back. So what they're saying is this, every 10th one, you follow the law. plus every 10th animal was holy to the Lord. Numbers 18, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Next book over, then we're gonna go to Deuteronomy. Next book over, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Now we're in Numbers and then into Deuteronomy next. In Numbers chapter 18, verse 21, same aspect, sacred tithe. It says, as for the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. You following me? How are the Levites going to be compensated for their service in the tabernacle? The Lord says, instead of an allotment of land, instead of a portion of land, I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. So the Levites who operated in service in the Old Testament temple or tabernacle was actually compensated with the grain, the fruit, and the cattle that was given by all of Israel. Israel when they were instructed, even back in Leviticus, to take your tithe to the place of worship. You guys following me? This is why it's a sacred tithe. It's to be set apart as holy, to be given to those who have their service in the temple. In verse 26, it says, give these instructions to the Levites. When you receive from the people of Israel the tithes I have assigned as your allotment, give a tenth of your tithe you receive, a tithe of the tithe. To the Lord as a sacred offering. In verse 28, you must present one-tenth of the tithe received from the Israelites as a sacred offering to the Lord. This is the Lord's sacred portion, and you must present it to Aaron, the priest. Be sure you give to the Lord the best portions of the gifts given to you. So follow me. I'm someone in Israel. I have a harvest, I have some fruit trees, and I have some cattle. I take 10% of the grain, 10% of the fruit, every 10th animal that has come under my rod, and I bring that to the place of worship, okay? This is set apart as holy. In their mindset, they're not giving to the Levites. Who are they giving to? The Lord. It's set apart not as holy unto the Levites. It was set apart as holy unto the Lord. So they go and they bring their 10th, and then they walk away. It's now to the Lord's, okay? Now, I could step in here, and now I'm a Levite. I'm someone who doesn't have an allotment of land, doesn't have an allotment of food. I work in the tabernacle. I was actually responsible for taking a tenth of everything that was given here. You follow me? So everybody brought their tithe, and I was to take, or the Levites were to take, a tithe off of that. So 10% out of all that was given and give it to the priests as being holy to the Lord, not holy to the priests, so there was actually a portion taken out of that tithe that was given specifically to the priests. You guys learning some stuff? Yeah, yeah all right. Yeah. Thanks. This was the sacred tithe. This is what was to be holy unto the Lord and then eventually trickle down to the Levites and then to the priests. Let's look at the tithe of feasts. If you want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Turn it into a song, you'll remember it. Deuteronomy chapter 12, this is an example of the tithe of feasts. Starting at verse 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 12, it's talking about them going to the tabernacle. It has some confusing wording, I'm just telling you. They're going to the place of worship. In verse 6, I'll pick up. It says, there you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow, your voluntary offerings, and your offerings of the firstborn animals of your herds and flocks. Woo! Woo! So now we don't just have tithe. Now we actually see there are offerings being mentioned here. In fact, there are five Levitical offerings, which I'm not going to get into today. But what we see here is this. We're not just taking the tithe under the Old Testament law, but there's a lot of, not a lot, there's five different offerings that were then brought to the Lord, brought to the place of worship during this time. In verse 7, it says, there, you and your families will feast in the presence of the Lord your God, and you will rejoice in all you have accomplished because the Lord your God has blessed you. I want you to catch this. When we get into conversations about tithing and Old Testament, and New Testament, a lot of times it get, Sometimes it can get ugly. Like people start arguing. Then it's a, is it the grocer? Is it the net? Or what is it? How, look at the attitude. We see in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians, it says what? To joyfully give. Give with a cheerful heart. All right? So if you're coming into church or if you're going to the tabernacle with a really messy attitude, and I don't want to give this, what happens when you show up there? You're supposed to have a feast, and you're supposed to celebrate all that God has done. I give him 10%. What am I going to do with the 90? <laughs> right? You're too serious. When we talk about money, you guys get like, <laughs> don't we worry about that sometimes? Where we come begrudgingly saying, oh, I don't want to give anything, I, 10%, that's a lot of money. They actually came with their tithes and their offerings to celebrate and to have a feast of thanksgiving for all that God has done. That's an Old Testament picture in the New Testament, cheerful giving to the Lord. But many of you may have not have known that, is that people actually ate a portion of their tithe before the Lord as a celebration and thanksgiving. We'll take a look in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. There's two chapters over starting at verse 22. Just another glimpse at it. You'll see throughout these uh, first five books, there's a lot of overlap, a lot of re-explaining. It says, you must set aside, starting at verse 22, you must set aside a tithe of your crops one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Men and women's names aren't to be honored through giving. It's so the Lord's name would be honored in your life and through your life. And then it says, and eat it there in his presence. I I love that. We're bringing something to the Lord to honor his name, and yet he lets us consume it. Again, it's a New Testament picture of sowing and reaping. We give to the Lord not to give back, but as we give and as we sow in, he allows us to consume the portion of that blessing. It says here, this applies, this is in middle of verse 23, this applies to your tithes of grain, your new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flock and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. It's a good lesson and a principle and a law of knowing Jesus, even though he wasn't there yet back then, God was Lord of all. New Testament, Jesus is Lord of all. It's honoring him with what they had. Let's look at uh, one instance of tithing for the poor. If you're in Deuteronomy, same chapter, just six verses later. In verse 28, now, this says at the end of every third year. Say, every third year. They had this written down, so they didn't get confused. So, year one and two, they would bring it all the way to the tabernacle. Something happened, different happens on year three and then year six. And then in seventh year, we're not even going to get into uh, the year of rest and so on the Sabbath. But it says, at the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. So were they going all the way to the tabernacle this time? Absolutely not. They weren't going all the way there. It was a different time. It said, go to the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, right? So the homeless, people that don't have a place to stay. The orphans, the widows in your town, so they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord, your God, will bless you in all your work. So if we see here, there's a 10th going, year one, year two, year four, year five, all the way to the tabernacle for a specific reason. On year three and year six, it's coming into local storehouses. It was in a place within their city gates, you could say, in their town, their local town's gates. It was given specifically, again, a portion to the Levites, but also for those who were homeless, orphans, widows, and so on. If you want to go to the last book of the Old Testament, Commonly known verses on tithing in Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament, verse, uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. It says, should people cheat God? The obvious answer would be, yeah. doing good said yet you have cheated me so the lord speaking to the people of israel says but you ask what do you mean when did you ever when did we ever cheat you you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me verse 10 says bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple if you do says the lord i will open the windows of heaven for you I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me, put me to the test. Now, these verses have a lot of meaning and a lot of value, even in the new covenant. When we're talking about the law, the principle, the aspect of sowing and reaping, I'm going to get into that in a a few weeks. So the verses are quite clear here, though, under the old covenant, under the law, what happened? Give to God and you will be blessed, right? Right? rob God and you will be cursed. Now there are a few issues that I have with how I've heard these verses taught before because I've heard them taught from a position of control, manipulation, and fear. So I just want to share a few of my thoughts on these. Number one, when we talk about the curse that they're under, the curse that they're under is because they haven't brought their tithes or their offerings. Yet when you hear this taught a lot of times, they're all, they'll only talk about the verse that says, bring all the tithes, bring all the tithes, bring all the tithes. If you don't bring all the tithes, you'll be under a curse is what is taught. But if you look at the verse here, it says, you've cheated me of the tithes and the offerings. So if people are going to teach this from a biblical standpoint, if they say you're cheating God, it's not just about the tithe; it's about the offering too. You okay? The second area of concern that I have is that every one of the curses that God could have and did pour out upon His people in the Old Covenant was but because they broke a law of the Old Covenant. Now fortunately for us, we no longer have to be under fear of breaking those laws because we're not under that law. Christ fulfilled the law. So in the New Covenant, we're not talking about God cursing Us, Because Christ fulfilled the law. Verse 9 says, You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. But I want you to hear what Galatians 3.13 says. I'll just read it to you. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Blessing is our inheritance, not curse. I want you to catch that. Blessing is the inheritance of God upon our life, not curses. So if we want to use Malachi as a sowing and reaping, the law of sowing and reaping, I'm all for that. If somebody tells you, listen, you're under the curse of God, even though you're a child of God, if you stop giving, I go back to Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I want you to understand, I believe curses are real. I believe people can put themselves under demonic attack and demonic oppression. I just don't believe curses are being poured out from God anymore to our children, his children. So are there witches and warlocks that try to put hexes and spells and curses on people? Absolutely. You as a child of God, are you receiving a curse from God? No. Either that or you don't believe that Christ became a curse so that you could walk in blessing. I want you to know, I do believe that the Lord still disciplines us. I do believe the Lord still corrects us. I do believe that there are blessings that are not accessible to you if you're not showing a generous heart because you're not giving in faith. I believe believe faith is the currency of heaven. We've talked about this before when we talked about identity. God has given us your entire inheritance the moment you said yes to Jesus in a spiritual bank account, you can call it. It's not about the money. It's about your heart. We said that enough times last week. So it's in your account. So as you as you activate your faith in different areas, whether it's love, compassion, or generosity, or any area, that faith makes withdrawals from your account. So you might say, well, wait a minute. If he can't curse us if we don't give, then what is this? Is this like a free ride? No, if you're saying to yourself, well, hey, I have all the inheritance of God. God loves me. I'm not cursed anymore. I'm not going to give. I don't need to do anything. I'm good. No, you don't understand you died to yourself. If you're saying things like that, then you have an attitude of entitlement. I deserve it all because I received Jesus. And we don't deserve anything. We come into Christ, and he says, okay, now I'll make you deserving of it all. Because Jesus took your place, you could take his place. But faith still activates the inheritance upon your life. I also do believe that we can... Move out of. I believe the Lord's covering and blessing and protection is here, available to us at all times. But I do believe through willful disobedience, through rebellion toward him or other people through sinful activity, that you can move yourself out of the protection and the favor of the Lord. So I want you to understand there, there, there's a tension being held when I say there's no more curses from God. God's not the one moving. Your inheritance is blessing. It's your decision whether you stay under that and receive it or not. The last concern that I have for this is that it does produce fear when it's taught. When I mean, tithing is taught out of manipulation or control, it can produce fear. But what we're trying to produce is faith. In First John 4:18, it says, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. It says, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I want to say to you today, if you are giving to the Lord out of fear of punishment, then you are not in love with the Lord. Because the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Giving is for your benefit. Do you understand that? Say yes. Maybe you don't understand that yet. Like God doesn't need your money. Maybe let's put it that way. Giving is actually for the giver's benefit. Giving activates that heart of generosity, activates that heart of of giving back. It activates the faith and the recognition and the realization and the revelation that he is Lord of everything. He's Lord of your life and he's Lord of everything that you own. So he's not sitting up there wringing his hands every Sunday, looking at the hundreds of thousands of churches and saying, please, people, give. (laughs) Giving is for your benefit. Giving is tied to the Lord's blessing upon your life when you give in faith. If you're giving as a religious act, uh, act of duty, that's Old Testament, where you better follow the law or receive punishment. New Testament is give and give cheerfully. Give with a grateful heart. And we've gone through several Old Testament verses, and, I want, I, and I've said it already before, that the law in the Old Testament included 613 laws commandments of do's and don'ts. There's nothing bad about that. We talked about Jesus fulfilling the law. There's nothing bad about the law. The law, it was holy and good and righteous. But some people still say, well, I'm trying to follow these laws. I'm trying to follow the things that were happening in the Old Testament. You're getting caught up in, you're not supposed to be following anything but the Holy Spirit. I've said it before, I'll say it again, the Holy Spirit will never lead you into a bar. The Holy Spirit will never lead you into a strip club. So if you're following the Holy Spirit, you will be fulfilling the righteousness that God wants to have upon your life. Galatians 3, starting at verse 19, talking about the law. It says, why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise. Who was the promise? Everybody knows the answer. We're in church. Who was the promise? Jesus. All right. The law was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. Like God, God's not stupid. He didn't think people were going to be able to follow 613 laws. The law was given to show people their sin so they would know they need a Savior. It says, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. And his name is? All right. Verse 21 says, is there a conflict then between God's laws and God's promises? Absolutely not. He says, but if the law could only give us new life, we would not be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. How do we know we're prisoners of sin? When we look at the law, we know we can't obtain it. We know we can't follow all the things that God commanded. So it says we've received God's promise of freedom only By believing in Christ Jesus. So when we think about the law, everything's beneficial in the law. But Christ has come to fulfill the law. The law was made to reveal our sin. The revelation is we need a Savior, and now we follow the Holy Spirit. Let's look at some of the laws quickly. To know that God exists. To not profane God's name. to To fear Him reverently. To honor the old and the wise. To recite grace after meals. We've been messing that one up for years. Deuteronomy 8. We're supposed to recite grace after the meal. I'm just saying. Not to take revenge. Not to afflict an orphan or a widow. To honor your father and your mother. All very good things. Here goes other laws. That if you are trying to obtain Old Testament fulfilling of the law. That every person should write a scroll of the Torah for himself. Anyone? To bind Teflon on the head. Teflon were the set of small box leather boxes that they would put scriptures in. I don't see anybody wearing that today. To release all of your debts every seven years. To eat matzah on the first night of Passover. No. Not to wear garments made of wool and linen mixed together. Check your tags to offer up incense twice daily and that every sacrifice be salted. These were actual laws of the Old Testament. And then we've read some of the laws about the tithe. But also in the dealing with the tithe, there's laws that say to give pre- the priest the due portions of the carcass of cattle. So next time you come to church, bring your due portion of carcass, please. <laughs> not, not to alter the order of separating the gifts for the tabernacle and the tithes. So you had, there's a certain way you had to separate everything not to eat the second tithe of cereals outside of Jerusalem, and not to eat the second tithe when mourning. These are all part of the same set of laws that teach you also to tithe. So if we are to say, you better tithe to the Lord and it better be to central because it was found in the law, then we need to include a whole bunch of other laws. But I believe there's a revelation in Scripture that deals with the tithe that is outside of the law. So for those who say, well, we shouldn't give the tithe anymore because it's just Old Testament law, let's take a look all the way back at the beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 14. While you're turning there, Genesis chapter 14, Jesus, i want to go back to Galatians quickly and just read what I already read to you. It says that Jesus redeemed us from the curse in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So let's just take a look at Abraham's life for a moment. In Genesis chapter 14, this was before the law of tithing was given. Can you say before the law? This was before any law was given. This was Abraham and his heart and God. Abraham actually tithed to a person named Melchizedek. I won't have you say that. He was a king and a priest. Abram, Abram, actually he was still Abram, he had a great victory and from that plunder he actually made a tithe. It says in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 14, and Melchizedek the king of Salem and a priest of the God most high brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. And then he goes on to actually bless him. Abram's response to receiving that blessing is in the second half of verse 20. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Now in the Old Testament law, which comes later in scripture, We see no matter what you felt like, no matter what you wanted to do, you better follow these laws. That covenant, when you broke that covenant with God, you were punished and punished severely. Did God want to punish them? No, it was in their covenant. God's heart was always for people. You can't look at the Old Testament and say, well, God was always mad back then. Learn more about what the old covenant was and what the positions of the people and God were then you will understand. His heart was always for the people. There was a reason why his punishment and his wrath was poured out there. Abram wasn't under the law. Abram wasn't required. There was no rule saying, you better give this man 10%. He had victory. He received a blessing from Melchizedek. And out of the overflow of his generosity and thankfulness, he gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything that was plundered. Right there, I believe it's the first love offering, but it came in the form of a tithe. Oh, it wasn't called a tithe. Well, when it says a tenth, and some of your translations probably say a tithe, tenth means tithe. So before the tithe was ever created in law, Abram gave it. Another one, Genesis chapter 28. Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's related to Abram or Abraham grandson. This is generational. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob actually commits to giving 10% back to the Lord as an offering of thanksgiving for God providing everything he needed. In verse 20, it says, Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And as this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth, some of your translations might say, a tithe of everything he gives me. Now again, this wasn't cash he was pulling out of his pocket. He wasn't getting on push pay and giving him a tenth. He was giving him a tenth of his harvest, of his grain, of his cattle, of his fruit. And it was an offering he wanted to give. He didn't look up in the Torah and say, well, I better do this and I better do this. And do I have the teflon attached to my head? And have I salted all of my carcasses that I'm bringing to the temple? It's not. He's saying, God is my God because he's protected me and he's blessed me. He's provided with everything I need. How could I not give back to him? And that was before the law was ever given. So if we say we must tithe because it's just Old Testament law, then I would have questions about that because I have questions about a lot of other Old Testament laws that we're not following. But if we see evidence of tithing back before the law ever began, and I see the evidence and the benefit of giving to the Lord, then for me, I've personally chosen to continue to tithe. Now, in the early church, we do not see tithing mandated. And this is something that you won't hear most preachers talk about. You you don't see tithing mandated in the New New Testament, in the early church, to follow as a rule or else get cursed. But you do see people living with radical generosity. You do see people selling their property and laying it all at the apostles' feet. You do see people giving everything that they have to help those who were in need. Now, some of you are thinking right now in Matthew 23, 23. So I'll read that to you. You say, wait a minute. Jesus talked about the tithe. He said, should you tithe? Yes. So it says in verse 23 of Matthew 23, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. Jesus is talking to people who are under the law and he says, you hypocrites, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Should you tithe? Yes but do not neglect the more important things. You blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a nap, but you swallow a camel. Oh. So Jesus is saying, yes, keep following God's laws, but do it in love. He's talking to people who are under the law. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. But they were still under the law because he didn't die on the cross. He had to fulfill in completeness the law. So he's telling them, you're under the law. Continue to follow the law. But do the most important things. Don't give and give and give when your heart's not attached to it. And then forget about justice and love and mercy and righteousness. If you see tithing, if if you follow church history enough from what I can tell, is that tithing actually began again in the early church around the fourth century when priests that became their vocation, they were receiving it as payment. So I'm not gonna sit here and tell you it's Old Testament law and you better give and you better give and you better give. I'm saying I see evidence of it way before the law and I see evidence of extreme generosity in the New Testament. So because I've seen that, I am going to continue to tithe to the Lord and I'm gonna give above and beyond that. If we look at the early church, three ways that I could see them giving. They, came, they gave to support other believers. They came alongside other Christians to support them so they could all celebrate together. kind of sounds like an Old Testament, right? It happened so they could feast together. They did it to support ministers of the gospel and missionaries. Sounds very similar to something else in the Old Testament. Giving to support the Levites, the priests. And they gave to the poor. In Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, we see... Radical generosity to help other Christians. In Philippians 4, Acts, Romans, and in both Corinthians, we see people supporting missionaries and the preachers of the gospel. And all throughout Paul's writing, he talks about giving to the poor in Jerusalem, writing to them, giving to the poor in Jerusalem. You see three very similar aspects of giving in the Old Testament and the New. But in the early church, there was no limit. Everybody says, oh, geez, I just wish I could go back under the Old Testament and give 10%. There was no limit of giving in the New Testament. So if you want to come and argue that the tithe isn't for today, so you can give less than 10%, then you don't understand Old Covenant and New Covenant. If you come and you argue with me and say, tithing was Old Covenant law. I want to give more. Then I'll say, you understand the early church giving. You understand these methods. Now, if you leave here today and you say, did you hear what Pastor Kurt said? He's telling us we have to give more than 10% essential. You've missed the entire point of this message it's really not about the money, is it? It's about our heart. I'll be done in a few minutes. So I tell you today, I still tithe. And I don't tithe because I'm trying to follow an Old Testament law. I tithe because I believe it's a biblical starting point for the rest of my giving. The tithe is not my ceiling for giving to the Lord. It's my floor. The tithe is just the start. And I enjoy every bit of it, my wife included, and my children included. See, if you understand just a little bit about the old covenant and the new covenant, everything in the new covenant has a greater requirement than the old covenant did. We think 613 laws, I'm supposed to follow all of those things. That would be easy compared to picking up your cross daily and following Jesus. You brought your sacrifice for atonement for sin once a year. Now he says, die to yourself daily and give me your whole life. In the Old Covenant, adultery was committed if you actually committed an act with a woman. In the New Testament, if you look at another woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. What has the greater requirement? The older, the new. The Old Testament says, do not murder. The New Testament says, if you're angry with your brother, you are subject to judgment already. In the Old, you gave 10% of your harvest. In the New, you give it all and you give it all with joy. For me, it really has little to do with if you call your giving a tithe or not, because tithe simply means 10%. You can call it your Holy Ghost gift, your sanctified sacrifice, your awesome offering. It really doesn't matter to me. The condition of your heart is what matters to me, because I understand and know personally the benefit and the blessing of giving to the Lord. In fact, if your goal is to give exactly 10% to the Lord and you calculate that down to the penny, then you've just turned giving into a legalistic act of religion and not a response of worship. So yeah, I calculate percentages. I figure those things out because I want to do, but it's still a response of worship. It's not just to make sure I hit my requirement to the Lord. So what do I do? What do how does Sharice and I operate? How do we give? I learned to tithe as a child, and so did Sharice. I don't feel obligated to give. I feel like it's a privilege to give. God is our best portion of our income. In fact, we tithe on everything that comes in. I'm just sharing my heart right now. I'm not putting this on you. We tithe from birthday gifts, cards that we get from people from the church or from family members, Christmas, love offerings, pastor appreciation. We tithe on all of that, and it's just the start of our giving to the Lord. Above that, what we give above what we call the tithe, 10%. We just simply call offerings. We see evidence of offerings throughout the Old Testament. So that's a word we use in church. You can call it what you want, but it's an offering to the Lord is how we term it. So out of, out of our income, we give to missions above and beyond our tithe. It's not part of a tithe. We give above and beyond that. We give to the building fund each month. We sowed into Paul Martini's ministry when he was here, Global Awakening while he was here. We gave to a conference a few weeks later. And we're committed to giving to the Tilapia Project. And we do it because the Holy Spirit leads us to. We're not following a role. We give because the Holy Spirit gives us joy when we give to the Lord. The amount that we give above a 10%, because I believe there's evidence before before the law ever came, that's a sacrifice to us, right? When you give to the Lord, you you would think that you're better off keeping that money to use it how you would want to. But every time you give, the Lord is faithful and will absolutely use the less that you have kept for yourself for much more than you could ever imagine. And it just feels really good spending money on somebody else than it does yourself. We're going to tell testimonies in a few weeks about people's generosity, receiving it and giving it and celebrate the Lord working in this way. I'm not saying that you have to give everything that you have to the church I'm saying you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me? 10%, now he's saying 15%, 20%. Who? What's this guy expect? I'm saying, will you please be followed by the Holy Spirit? Don't walk under condemnation or control or guilt. But I do think that your giving should reflect the level of faith you have in God's provision for your life. If the level of faith for God's provision is very low and you're afraid that you're never going to have enough, that you won't give. And then you never activate your faith in that area. And then God can never trust you with more to flow through you for people who are in need or ministries, churches, organizations that he wants to give through you. If your faith in his provision is higher, then you'll give more out of that. And you'll be excited to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Before I close, I just want to answer this simple question because it comes... Because it's not, really, it's not really about whether you call it a tithe or not. It's not about calculating it. But I've received this question many times over my, um, I don't know, 14 years of ministry. I don't even, I can the 11 years. If I tithe or when I tithe, should I tithe on my net or my gross? So I'll close with this. Most of you are in the 15 to 25% bracket, right, of taxes, which means you would, you would that whatever bracket you're in, that's how much money you get taken out before you ever see your pay. So I'm gonna give you an example, but from a different perspective. Let's say God, it's an example. Let's say God was able to be drained of his resources, okay? Because we are drained as soon as we get paid. Before we get paid, we're drained of our resources. So if God was able to be drained of his energy or his resources, what would you do? Would you want God to give you advice after he has already counseled a few thousand people and has had 15% less wisdom? Or would you want to receive his advice when he's fresh and powerful? I'm just thinking, making you think. If God's healing power lessened during prayer time at the altar, would you want to be first in line or halfway back when 15% less people started getting healed? I could feel tension rising. (laughs) Intercessors. If God's material blessing was limited... Would you want to be at the top of his list receiving his gift cards for gas, for groceries, for entertainment, or would you want to receive it after he was 15% drained? If it's our expectation to receive God's best wisdom, his full measure of power, and his best material provision, then why in the world would we not respond with our best? That's my answer. That's where my heart is right now. So for me, practically... We calculate things and we figure things out, acting like the government does not have our money yet. And we give, in fact, we give our tithes, offerings, missions, building right out of my paycheck. Many of you maybe have watched me for 11 years. He never puts anything in the basket. Doesn't he give? I give. It's out of my paycheck or now out of pushback. So we make sure God gets our best. I'm not questioning this or this before the government. No. I'm giving to God before the government takes any of my money. I'm giving to God before I pay the mortgage, before I pay the electric bill. I'm giving to God before the end of the month, and I say I don't have enough left over. He's the Lord of all. So we give him our best. Let's stand. That was a hard one to get through. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we just come to you today. <laughs> God, you, this is, you, you've given us everything. I mean, you've given us everything, God. Wow. Like in America, Father, we, we, we confess to you, we should not even be having arguments and conversations about gross and net and Old Testament and New Father. We want to be generous to you. We just want to respond to Jesus who gave his entire life for us. We want to respond to Jesus who fulfilled every law and requirement that would have caused us to come under a curse because we are unable to fulfill those things. So, Father, I pray not even about giving. I pray, God, that you would give us a revelation of your love and your generosity today. God, that we don't go home and try to calculate things. We just receive and receive and receive your love. And we receive what you've done on the cross. And we receive how a father gave his son. And Father, out of that, I pray that there would be a busting loose of generosity in this church. God, I pray that we begin to get excited about meeting people's needs. That we begin to get excited about putting the Tilapia Project fully together in one offering. And love to know that we were a part of it. God, I pray that you would remove religiosity. I pray that you would remove condemnation and guilt and give us freedom to give back to you everything that we have. Not just our money, but our heart, our trust, our time, our relationships, our self-control, that we just give back to you because we want to and because we're filled with joy. So today, Father, we thank you that you are the provider And as people give to you, then men and women across this congregation will be blessed in due season. Father, we commit to you everything that we have, our very lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.